in our midst or whether you're online, you are welcome and we look forward to what God is going to do in our midst this morning. One of the reasons that I am starting the announcements today really has to do with, uh, with my moderator update that I sent out about a week ago. If you had a chance to read that, then you will know that, that uh, over the last number of months, the board has recognized that, that there's been a bubbling up in our congregation and in our community, a concern about how Northgate might be able to be involved in uh, some of the refugee crises that are going on around the world. This started over a year ago, and as this has bubbled up in our midst, it, it got more and more pointed, particularly last, uh, over, over the, the, the last few uh, weeks with the Ukrainian conflict. What, what I mentioned in the update and what uh, we are starting today is a, a bit of a process of discernment for our community as to what it is that God wants us to do in response to the crises that we see going on around the world, that God is bringing us opportunities to do right here in Edmonton and in our context. That process is going to involve, one, exposing you to opportunities that we have to actually be involved here in, the, in giving, uh, however God might call us to, to respond to this crisis. Uh, the second thing, then, next week, we are going to talk a bit. We're going to have... Uh, some testimonies about the impact of serving refugees and how you might could be involved with by those both from our community that are involved in this as well as those who are on the receiving end of being involved in that as a second step for our discernment process. The third step of our discernment process is actually what does it take from a church? What ways can a church be involved in this? And what are the responsibilities and, and, and what are the opportunities that we might have? And then lastly, we're going to meet together and we're going to ask the question, what has God been doing in you? What have you discerned? What is being stirred up in you? Is this something that just a few people are being called into? Is this something the whole community is being called into? Well, that is the process that we're going, those are the questions that we're going to be asking in about a month. So as I said in the, in the update, I hope you have begun to pray, if you hadn't already, asking what does God want Northgate to do as a community? And you yourselves, what, did, what might God be asking you to do as members of Northgate, as members of the body of Christ? So that's kind of the journey that we're going to be on over this next month. As I said, today is the initial step into that. This was where we have Bob and Beth Humphreys they are going to come up in just a moment and they're going to share with us the ministry that they're involved in, which is interesting. We were already talking with them before the Ukrainian crisis started. We were talking about, because we were sensing this bubbling up. And so we had contacted them. They are involved in uh, a ministry called Refugee Bridge, and they're going to tell you about that. But I just wanted you to know that Bob and Beth are members of Terwilliger Community Church, it's an ABA church. This is a ministry really that has emerged out of our brothers and sisters in the ABA conference. And so they are kindred spirits with us. They are fellow travelers in this NAB world, and they live right here in Edmonton. And so let me invite Bob and Beth Humphreys to come up. 
tell us a little bit about this ministry and, and what God has laid on your heart for us. Thank you, David. Well, thank you, David, and thank you, Northgate Baptist Church, for inviting us to present about sponsoring and resettling a refugee family and for your interest in helping Ukrainian families. Refugee Bridge is a small lay ministry that sponsors Christian refugee families from dangerous parts of the world. We bring them to Canada and resettle them here as privately sponsored refugees. We partner with churches who receive and support the refugee families throughout the resettlement period of 12 months. Our mission is to rescue refugees and believers who are in positions of danger by joining together and providing aid using finances, wisdom, and expertise. In 2018, we sponsored two Christian families that had fled Pakistan and were hiding in Thailand without any protection or rights. These two families who arrived in the fall of 2021 were sponsored in 2018. It's a three-year process from submission of the sponsorship application, waiting in line with the government, to arriving in Edmonton. This is Shaima and her three daughters arriving last August in Edmonton. She had serious health issues and had to be accompanied by a nurse escort. Her health is now stable. This beautiful family of three arrived last September. Azariah is now almost five. He's a happy little boy who loves to learn and run. In 2019, uh, we did one another refugee family from Africa. Samarweet was arrested at her sister-in-law's home many, many years ago, attending a Bible study. And for this crime, she was imprisoned for eight months. She fled Eritrea in 2012. And in 2019, we submitted an application for her and her two daughters living in Uganda. This family is still waiting. In 2020, we sponsored a family of six adults that fled Pakistan in 2014 because of persecution of the entire family on the mother's side. They struggled to survive in a country that does not recognize their refugee status and hunts them down as illegal aliens. If they are caught... They are imprisoned, detained, or um, put in the International Detention Center, which is um, horrific. They have no choice but to wait many years, even a decade, for the opportunity to come to Canada. Last year, three ABA churches, Twilliger, Southwest, and the Asian Christian Church, each partnered with us to sponsor families that hope to arrive in 2024, we, we can't show you their pictures for their safety. In 2022, we will be sponsoring with um, the Canadian Baptists of Western Canada and North American Baptist churches in partnership. We'll be submitting five family applications. 
The Canadian government was backlogged and had not opened up any spots for 2022 until just four days ago. The applications are ready and the monies are raised and now we can submit them to Immigration, Refugee, Citizenship, Canada. On Thursday, Beth submitted Salima's sponsorship application. The Voice of Martyrs Ministry wrote up her story in October 1997. Samarweet was arrested and Salima, sorry, was arrested and subjected to horrific crimes in prison at the age of 17 just because she led her friend Rahila, who was a Muslim, to the Lord. Rahila was, was killed by her brother and family, um, a murder which was condoned as an honor killing. And the picture um, that was on the screen was Salima as a 17-year-old. Um, we wrote her, we were ready to submit her application last June. So it really is a miracle that just four days ago that door opened up. Um, there, were, there have been no spots for us since June of last year. Ah, my turn. <laughs> on February 24th, when Russia invaded Ukraine, an immediate need to provide refuge for Ukrainian nationals presented itself. Refugee Bridge was in a unique position to pivot and respond to Christian Ukrainians fleeing the war. We know how to resettle refugees. On March the 2nd, we teamed up with Hope Mission. And on March the 4th, we contacted Elana the Secretary of the Baptist Union of Ukraine. And on March the 5th, Alana gave our contact information to families fleeing Ukraine that had no options to stay with friends or family in Europe. We are presently in contact with 15 Ukrainian families applying for Canada. We will receive them and we will make their landing softer. And I just want to add, um, there was a screen earlier that said that you had collected a missions um, gift to Camp Falcon Rock. And I just want to tell you that one of our 15 families is at Camp Falcon Rock right now. Um, Paul Garricky contacted us on last week, um, and we are receiving a single mom um, and that lady will be resettled in Edmonton. So the monies that you have sent to Camp Falcon Rock are being used. It's my turn again. <laughs> I just keep adding these little things and then forgetting it's my turn, sorry. Canada's response to Ukrainians fleeing the war was announced March 17th, and it's very different than the sponsorship of refugees. It's an expedited visa process that allows them to stay as a temporary resident, not a permanent resident, for three years. Parents can work and kids can go to school and Alberta Healthcare is provided. 
We are matching our 15 families with churches and host homes and placing them in those private homes for one to six months. Our Ukrainian families are prepared to work in entry-level jobs and to learn English, and they will strive to be self-sufficient within six months. So here's the fun part. Meet 19-year-old Elizaveta and her family. Her father has to stay behind to fight for Ukraine. But Elizaveta, her mother, her siblings, and her grandmother are being received by Twilliger Community Church with energy and excitement. Their flights are booked, and they arrive at the Edmonton International Airport this coming Saturday. Meet 44-year-old Natalia, a teacher. Highlands Baptist Church is receiving her with joy, and Natalia has booked her flight at the end of May. Meet 26-year-old Alexandra, his expectant wife, his sister, and his parents. Ingrid and Elson already have the crib, open arms and an open heart. Church, what could you do to assist the Zazaluks as they welcome this beautiful Ukrainian family? Meet 41-year-old Oksana and 34-year-old Victoria. God has stirred Lorraine's heart uh, to receive not one, but two sisters in Christ. Lorraine has an obedient heart. Meet Ihar, age 19. Tanya and Brent, so that would be the next slide. They run a restaurant in Nelson, B.C., and they asked for a chef. Ehor is not a chef, but guess what? His sister is, and his mother's a baker. Where are we? Where are we? <laughs> Where are we? Mm, one more page. McKernan and Hillview are preparing right now. They're raising finances, they're building resettlement teams, and they're engaging their members. They're connecting and encouraging their Ukrainian families in this really dangerous and heart-wrenching time as families flee the war. Meet Sasha and his wife, Luda, and their four children, ages 15, 13, 8, and 5. Sasha is a pastor and ministering in Ukraine to a congregation trusting God to be their refuge. For the, for the past few days, I mentioned Elena is our, um, our contact in Ukraine, and she's with the Baptist Union. We've been praying for a pastor and his church in, in Kursan, which is um, under bombardment right now. And I received this text um, early in the morning at uh, 1.24 a.m. It says, a few days ago, a pastor in Kherson and several members of the con congregation, including children from the orphanage run by the church, decided to take the risk and to leave the area and head west. For several days, we haven't heard anything from them. They did hear yesterday. 
It said yesterday, pastor from Curson and other 11 cars from that region have reached the safe place in Ukraine. But unfortunately, the children were taken away by Russian soldiers, and we don't know what has happened to them. Please pray. It is very... It is very clear that we are called to defend the weak and the fatherless, to uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed, and to rescue the weak and the needy, and deliver them from the hand of the wicked. It takes a community of caring people to receive a family in dire need and help them begin a new life. Please ask God how you can be involved in showing hospitality to a displaced Ukrainian family. Everyone has a part to play, and together we can make a difference. We can bring someone to safety. We can give them shelter and food. We can give them refuge from the war. We can love them in very practical ways in the name of Jesus. Thank you for your servant hearts. Test, test. Yep, that works. If you'd read with me um, from Joshua chapter 23, uh, verses 14 to 15. If you don't already have your Bible open, I'm, I'm jumping right in. It's going to be quick. And now I'm, I'm about to go the way of all the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things the Lord your God has promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But just as all good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed from you. Just give me a sec, guys. These words are really little. <clears throat> Verse 15. But just, just as all good things that the Lord your God promised you concerning have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon all the evil things until he has destroyed you from... I feel like I'm reading this wrong. I'm sorry, guys. Until he has destroyed from you, destroyed you from all... Destroyed you from all off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. My goodness, that does not sound right. The words are all mixed. Anyways, the point is, if you can figure out how to read this verse, that God has brought about all his promises, all good things, all he's promised will come about. God is faithful to his word. <clears throat> and so we can remember this. Uh, we can remember this good news. We can remember these as we go along, as we... Um, as we hear about what God's doing in the world, as we hear about um, the ways he is working, that he will bring these things about and then 
Thank you, David Williams, for that inspiring introduction um, to the uh, to Refugee Bridge. Thank you, Humphreys, for sharing what God is doing and, uh, yeah, showing us these opportunities in which we can join God in his work. All right. Well, um, my name is Garrett. I'm the youth pastor. Uh, welcome to Northgate Baptist. If you, if it's your first time, if it's, we have connect cards. If you are um, interested in contacting us, if you would like prayer, if you'd like to, to share anything, you can get to those on our website, uh, northgatebaptist.ca. There's also a QR code on our bulletin in which you can scan. Just a couple more things, guys. Um, I don't know. I probably don't have much else I need to say, but good luck keeping my mouth shut. We have a joy tea coming up um, for 50 plus. That's on May 11th at 2 o'clock p.m. If you're interested, please contact Benita at the office. Um, baptism and memberships. Uh, there's been some interest. If you're interested, please contact Mark Barrett. Guess who's coming to dinner? That's not a question. Well, it is a question, but it's also an event that's coming up. If you'd like to sign up, if you like dinner, if you like serving dinner, if you like receiving dinner, if you think dinner's overrated and you just want to skip to dessert, if you answered yes or no or maybe to any of those questions, sign up online at northgatebaptist.ca for our Guess Who's Coming event. We're um, organizing event. You know, check the website. All the details are on there. I've talked long enough. Allow me to pray, and then uh, the kids can be dismissed to Kingdom Kids after that. God, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that you are faithful, that we can trust in what you say. We can trust your promises. And God, as we hear um, about all the things happening around the, around the world, the good and the bad, God, we can trust that you will come through and we can um, join you uh, faithfully and confidently in the things that you are doing. God, we pray as Mark comes up to speak with us this morning, as we hear from your word, God, I pray that it would be transforming, that it would change our hearts, transform our minds, and God, that we would, uh, we would submit to you in obedience um, in all the things you've spoken. God, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Good morning again, church. Am I on? I'm waiting. Hello? Hello? Test? Happy 1st of May. Excited to be here. Uh, thank you, Garrett, for the announcements. I've been there where you just spiral. <laughs> you, just, you, get, you get that look in your eyes. You're terrified. You just, you know, you got to get off the ride, but you're not sure how. It's just like, wow. Yeah. So all starts with, here's a tip, large print scripture. Like, we just like... <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but whether you're joining us here in person or you're joining us online... I uh, hope your hearts are ready uh, to be blessed by the Word of God. I would encourage you to turn with me uh, in your Bibles to the book of 1 John, uh, chapter 5 is what we're going to be looking at this morning, verses 1 to 5. Uh, and I'll admit, as I was working through this passage this week, uh, it gave me a lot more challenge than uh, the passage we looked at last week in 1 John, chapter 4. Uh, 
In fact, in looking at this passage, uh, there are actually three different sort of sermons I felt like were there that I could have preached. There's, you know, three different directions uh, I could have kind of gone with this passage. And uh, Garrett very helpfully suggested we just do like TV Survivor, where we just vote for a sermon off the island until there's only one left, and I'd preach that one. Uh, but actually, I figured maybe this morning, I'll just give you all three. Uh, so this is sort of three sermons in one this morning, uh, which I hope is added value, kind of reminds me like a sales guy on TV, not one, not two, but three sermons in one this morning. Uh, So I hope you feel you're getting your uh, value truth meal here. Uh, But if you want to join me, uh, follow along as I read to you. Uh, As we begin 1 John chapter 5, I'll be looking at verses 1 to 5. And John writes this for us. He said, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that you would just uh, quiet our hearts and prepare our hearts uh, to receive the truth, the word uh, that we will be looking at this morning. I pray that, Lord, we would uh, just hear something that would plant a seed Uh, in our hearts that would yield good fruit uh, produced through the Holy Spirit, that, Lord, this truth would would change us, not be something we just hear and walk away from, but, Lord, something that just takes hold of our hearts in a very special way. Uh, Lord, may your Holy Spirit be dwelling among us in a powerful way, that, Lord, uh, you would lead us into truth. Help me to proclaim this truth uh, through your power, Uh, and may you be glorified in, in all that we do this morning. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we begin this morning, let me ask you a question. And when you hear it, it's not a trick question. Um, How many of you here this morning uh, have been born? Um, And I'm I'm talking like literally about just being physically born. Uh, I mean, all of us were there when it happened. None of us remember anything about it. But I would think without a show of hands... uh, that most people here would probably, you know, know that being born is how we got here. I mean, we're not hatched, or we're not sort of grown, we're not made in a laboratory, you know. Uh, there's no real question that if you're here this morning, you have been born. And it's with that in mind that we realize one of the big lessons that John is trying to instill in the hearts of his readers is that we should be as certain of our spiritual birth as we are of our physical birth. Just as John says in our passage in verse 1, he said, everyone, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. And that's, that's a beautiful picture. And, and you know, the Bible describes us as believers in many ways. Uh, we're called saints, we're called followers, we're called witnesses, fellow citizens, chosen ambassadors, living stones, um, you know, righteous, we're servants, we're stewards, we're salt of the earth, we're the light of the world, vessels of honor, sojourners, branches in the vine, uh, even the opposite, we're called Christians. 
But as John, Mac- and as John MacArthur says, you know, like a multifaceted diamond, each of those names reveals something of the character and blessings and privileges of a believer. But you know, bar- far and above any of those descriptions, it's the language of family that b- the Bible uses to describe us most. That we are part of the family of God. We're children of God. We're children of the kingdom. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're members of God's household. We are spiritually born into this family by grace through faith in Christ. And you know, like all families, when we are born into the family of God, there's going to be a family resemblance. We've talked about this before. And for John, that means that our lives as a family resemblance, uh, reflecting the Father, our lives will reflect the characteristics of three things, of belief, of love, and obedience. And John mentions these three things, um, well, several times in our passage this morning, but not only that, John has already been talking uh, to us about each of these things over and over throughout this letter. This is not the first time we've seen these, um, the, but these are the big themes. And John has already told us several times uh, that there is a truth about Jesus Christ that we must believe and hold on to about who he is. And he's told us that God is love and that in loving him, we now need to love one another. He's told us that about three or four times. And John has also already told us that we are to live and to walk in obedience to God. And now he's telling us all of those things all over again in our passage. Because John is not subtle when it comes to these subjects of belief, of love, and obedience. And that actually leads me to what I thought would be probably the first sermon I was going to preach. And it's actually the, when you look at those three things, it's the interconnectedness of these three great virtues in the Christian life. Because these three things, this belief, love, and obedience, they don't exist on their own. They exist with and for one another. Um, I remember when I was young that sometimes we used to have Neapolitan ice cream, uh, if you're not familiar with Neapolitan ice cream, you need to be. Like <laughs> that's, not, that's not a take-home lesson of any kind, but uh, it's wonderful. I mean, Neapol- if you don't know, Neapolitan ice cream is strawberry ice cream and vanilla ice cream and chocolate ice cream all existing together in a single container. Uh, and usually, usually it came as very sort of distinct columns. When you open up the thing, uh, there was like this row of strawberry there's this row of vanilla, and then this row of chocolate. I don't know why vanilla is always in the middle, if it's the peacemaker of chocolate and strawberry, but you get these three rows. So if you want just strawberry, you go to the strawberry, and you just, mmm, strawberry, get your bowl. If you want just chocolate, you can go to the chocolate, get a little thing. But sometimes this Neapolitan ice cream came in a tub, and it was all swirled together. Like it was all mixed up. So, you know, so there was no clear sort of neat line separating the flavors. So if you took a scoop, no matter how hard you tried, you had a pretty good chance of getting at least a little bit of every single flavor. And you know, that, that's what John is saying about belief, love, and obedience. These are not three separate things. They're not meant to be experienced one at a time. They all go together. So when it comes to our life of faith, you can't really say, oh, I would love a great big bowl of God's love. Just give me a whole heap of this. But you know what? That obedience stuff, you know, just I don't really want any of that. So just give me this over here. And you also can't say, on the other hand, you know, I just, you know, I want to believe the truth about God. 
You know, that is, that's what I really want. I want a lot of that, but the obedience stuff, no, that's not really for me. I don't really want to be bothered with, with that, so I'll just take this. In fact, you can't, if, if you try to take these three things, uh, you know, sort of one at a time, you end up in trouble. If all you want to focus on is God's love, you end up with sort of emotionalism as the heart of your faith. But if all you want to focus on is belief, you end up with just sort of mere intellectualism. It's just in my head. It's not in my heart. And if all you want to focus on is obedience, you end up with just rigid legalism. We need each of these things, belief, love, and obedience, active in our lives at the same time to have a vibrant and living relationship with God. And this is just kind of my personal observation about this passage this week. But I love how, you know, God has created us as people with hearts and minds and bodies. And, you know, I see here that here is, you know, that it's the love that, that touches my heart. And it's this belief that John talks about that touches my mind. And it's the obedience, you know, that, that touches my body as I begin to serve and live this out. You know, this is what faith looks like when it's being lived out, you know, fully in our lives by the complete sort of person. I think this is what it looks like when Jesus says in passages like Luke 10, 27, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Because they're all connected. And I think that's also why John can say in verse 2 and 3 of our passage, where he says, by this we know we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Because he's saying these, these, these things, are, they're so interconnected with each other, that they affect each other. And a lack of faith, a lack of belief, it's going to lead to a lack of love. A lack of love is going to lead to a lack of obedience. A lack of obedience is going to lead to a lesser faith because as John says, faith without works is dead. You know, if, if you diminish one, you diminish them all. It's also why Henry Blackaby could say something like, uh, if you have an obedience problem, you have a love problem because they all go together hand in hand. Faith is this beautiful mix of all of the above. They're interconnected. Uh, in fact, uh, I even think that John is using what we call a chiasm in this verse uh, to, to show this interconnectedness. And a chiasm, it's just a Hebrew way of expressing a point that puts sort of a main point sort of in the middle of other points that are sort of existing on both sides. It kind of forms, it's an idea sandwich. Uh, and if it's Neapolitan, it's an ice cream sandwich, which is almost even better. But in this passage, this sandwich unfolds like this. You can see up there. Uh, it begins in verse 1 with belief. Um, believing Jesus Christ is the Christ leads to us being born again. And being born again leads us to loving God and loving others. And loving the Father then leads us to a place of obedience. And this obedience is not a burden. And those born of God, uh, or obedience becomes our way of showing love to God, and those born of God overcome, and, uh, and in verse 4 and 5, overcoming victory is through faith and belief that Jesus is the Son of God. So you have this, this unfolding of belief, being born, of loving, obedience, then working back out, back to love, being born, and believing. Um, you Basically, you end at the same place you began, uh, and you begin it all over again. And even though there's a lot going on in all of these verses here, uh, you have to understand this is sort of, that entire unit is one thought. Uh, just like a regular sandwich, you, without the bread, you don't have the sandwich anymore. Or if you take out the meat, you can't pull one of these thoughts out without changing the meaning of the rest. It is belief and love and obedience all working together as being part of being born again 
uh, spiritually um, to form this whole. And, you know, if we keep that analogy, then, you know, the meat of this chiasm sandwich definitely is obedience, which is right there in the middle. Uh, so even though John is not saying, you know, obedience is something we deal with separately from these other things, I do think John in this passage is trying to highlight some important aspects of both obedience that he wants us to understand. So how do we learn now to obey this obedience or enjoy this obedience sandwich? Um, well, that leads to the second sermon uh, I was thinking about preaching. And it was a sermon on the nature of obedience. Uh, because John's words here really speak about what obedience to Christ is like. And he tells us very simply in verse 3, he says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. And that idea, that word burdensome, uh, it, it carries the idea of something that, it's the impression of, this, of, of a crushing heaviness. I don't know if you've ever had to carry something that just buckled your knees. That's what it's talking about. It, it's a burden uh, that causes a person to actually fail under the weight of it. And John's saying that's not what obedience is like. John is saying that our obedience to God's commands is not designed to make us fail or to fall. But in fact, it's actually to set us free. And there are reasons that God's obedience is not burdensome. And I have three of them for you this morning. Uh, the first is because, as our passage tells us, our motive for obedience is love. It's not fear, it is love. Because love and obedience go hand in hand. And John isn't the only one who thinks so. Uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 7, verse 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We see again love and obedience going hand in hand. Daniel 9, verse 4. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Again, love and obedience going hand in hand. And Jesus' own words in John 14, 15, which I think John is basically echoing here. He says, John, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. You know, love and obedience should almost be spoken of with the same breath. They are so closely related in our lives. And that means that obedience is not, it's not something we do out of a sense of performance. Obedience is not something we do just for the sake of doing it. Obedience is really about our hearts and our relationship with God. Listen to what one person describes as the difference between obedience, true obedience, and performance. He says, obedience is seeking God with your whole heart. Performance is having a quiet time because you'll feel guilty if you don't. Obedience is finding ways to let the word of God dwell in you richly. Performance is quickly scanning a passage so you can check it off on your Bible reading plan. Obedience is inviting guests to your home for dinner to have a time of fellowship. Performance is feeling anxious about whether every detail of the meal would be perfect. Obedience is saying yes to whatever God asks of you. Performance is saying yes to whatever people ask of you. Obedience is following the promptings of God's Spirit. Performing, performance is following a list of man-made requirements. Obedience springs from the love of God. Performance springs from a fear of failure. You know, fear, fear is a great motivator in our lives, but it's not the healthy one. 
Because fear crushes us. It creates doubt. But love sets us free to serve with joy. And that is why love makes such a difference in our obedience. Because love is to be our true motivation. And that leads to the second reason that obedience, uh, our obedience to God is not a burden. Um, and that's because eventually we come to understand that obedience, walking in obedience, is actually God's best plan for our lives. You know, when we live following God's commands, it puts a person in a right relationship with God and a right relationship with his fellow man. And that is a very good thing. Honestly, what could actually be better than that? Uh, One commentary put it like this, God's commandments are not burdensome when we see how wise and good the commandments of God are. They are gifts from him to show us the best and most fulfilling life possible. God has given us his laws for the believer's own protection and highest welfare. A loving God, a loving father does not tell his child, uh, does not tell his child not to, to stay away from a busy street because he wants to take away his fun, but because he loves him and wants to protect his child from injury. An immature believer may view God's commands as restrictive, but our Heavenly Father knows that sin will damage and destroy us. You see, these commands were given for our benefit, to keep them from crushing us and being burdened. Because, you know, if you continue this line of reasoning, then the exact opposite is true. You know, if you want to experience burdensome things in your life, all you have to do is live in disobedience to God. You know what? If you live in sin and selfishness, that is a path to a life of despair and discouragement and destruction. Disobedience to God's commands is far more of a burden than obedience ever could be. Disobedience leaves you in a place where you're now striving against God and you are now at odds with your fellow man. That's a burden. And as Dallas Willard writes, to depart from righteousness is to choose a life of crushing burdens, failures, and disappointments, a life caught in the toils of endless problems that are never really solved. And this is why the psalmist could say, in Psalms like Psalm 40, verse 8, he says, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Psalm 119, 35, lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Psalm 119.92, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. You see, God's laws are not restrictive, but truly freeing when you truly understand them and live them out. And for a quick illustration of this, um, I was thinking about this. I have a couple kids who just sort of recently learned to drive. Uh, And it's interesting to see, you know, the progression from when they're taking their driver's test. And they're just, they're terrified of making mistakes, of doing something wrong, of breaking a rule. And some Christians live like that. They're just terrified. I'm just living in fear. Obedience feels like a burden that someone is out to get them and always watching them for a misstep. But you know what? Over time, as they begin to drive and learn what that's like, they learn that those rules that they're following are actually what makes driving so freeing. You know, because those rules, they, they allow traffic to flow freely and they keep you safe and they just keep things moving. So in time, driving becomes this wonderful activity that actually takes you to all kinds of new places. And you're still obeying the law when you do that, but now you're not worried about failure, you're just enjoying the ride. That's what the law of God does in our lives. Living obedience to God's words is what makes life great. It keeps our, our, our lives moving, it keeps us growing, it keeps us safe. 
And then third, when it comes to obedience, I think it's also to remember that obedience is not a burden because it's also God himself that lends us the strength to obey. Um, if you've ever had to sort of lift something heavy, uh, maybe you're moving some big piece of furniture and, and you're all alone and you're trying to move that thing, it's exhausting, it's a burden. But you know what? If you have that same piece of furniture and you call three or four friends over and everybody takes a corner, suddenly that burden, it's just not so much of a burden anymore. Because being given strength makes the burden less. And God gives us strength to help us obey. When it comes to obedience, you know, if you were to walk up on the street and ask any random non-believer and you would give them a Bible and say, obey this, they wouldn't last five minutes. Because there's no heart change in them that makes it happen. There's no proper motivation. There's no power of the Holy Spirit at work in their lives that gives them strength to live in obedience. But as Christians, we are born again into, into new life in Christ. If we try to do that in our own strength, it'll be impossible. To live like this with God's strength, however, is what overcoming is all about. I think it was the Daily Bread devotional that, that tells a story about uh, the 1995 International Composers Festival that was held in London. And at that festival, there was a composition arrangement that was written for piano that was deemed too difficult to play with human hands. And they wondered about this for a while, so they decided, you know, we still want to hear the piece played. So they decided, we're going to get a computer to play it. And they actually did something silly, but you know, they, they seated, a, the, they put a the piano thing and they put a guy on them like a mechanical guy and he's wearing a bow tie on and this computer uh, actually ended up flawlessly playing this this formidable work by this composer and then the daily bread says many people feel that god's commands are like those unachievable piano pieces and using human strength they are but with the life and power of god within us through faith in christ we see his commandments in a whole new light Obedience is not a burden because God gives us the strength to succeed. Of course, that doesn't mean that obedience in our lives is always going to be easy. It doesn't mean it's just going to be effortless because we live in this fallen world. Uh, we live with the world, the flesh, and the devil as our opponents working against us. And there's going to be challenges. There's going to be times when we get it wrong. There's going to be times in our lives where our obedience may falter. Uh, you know, even as John goes on in this passage, uh, he uses the language of overcoming. He, he uses the language of victory, which, you know, should be a signal to us that, you know, this, this life of obedience, it's not going to be a cakewalk. It's going to be more of a battle. But here's the thing. It's a battle that as believers, we're going to win. As we look at our passage again in verse 4, he says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And this actually leads me to the third sermon. Uh, I was thinking about preaching on this passage. And that was a sermon on the overcoming life. And this one is important because I think many people feel, don't always feel like they're having victory in Christ in many areas of their lives. I actually once heard Billy Graham quoted as saying, uh, the majority of believers are living defeated lives in Christ. And that's a tragedy if he's right. In fact, it's actually a tragedy if even one believer is living like that. Because it just shouldn't be that way because God has given us the victory. You know, we don't become Christians to get eternal life and spend the rest of our time losing ground to the enemy. 
God has provided the resources we need. He's given us his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross to conquer sin and death so that his power is broken. He has given us the Holy Spirit in our lives to be the strength that we need to have the victory if you will only tap into that strength. And there may be days you don't feel like an overcomer, but if you're born of God, God's word says you are. And you need to take God at his word. Because here it again, verse four, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Now, once you were blind, now you can see. Once you were lost, now you're found. Once you were a slave to sin and death, but now you are set free. You've been given life and peace. Romans 8, 37 says, no, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 55 to 58 says, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. As a believer, as a child of God, you have the victory in Christ. Victory over sin, victory over the world, victory over your flesh, victory over the devil, victory over even death itself because of Jesus. And that because of Jesus is something very important for us to remember. That the power to overcome is never a result of our own efforts. It's not we who overcome the world, but it is he who is in us. It is faith, through faith in Christ, that we find true victory in this world. You know, Jesus says, John 16, 33, I've said these things to you that, you may ha- that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. One pastor says about those words, he says, I have overcome the world. Who said it? He said, Jesus. Who won the victory? It's Jesus. Who possesses the victory? It's Jesus. And is he willing to share it? Yes. Because Jesus wants us to have that victory in our lives. And this passage that John writes for us today is, is really, I think, a lesson in what this overcoming life looks like. Because it begins with being born again of having that relationship with Jesus. And it's founded upon truth about the belief of who Jesus is, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And it's experiencing the love of God in our lives and just letting that love overflow into the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ, loving God and loving one another. And it's also about living in obedience. And it's not obedience out of a sense of fear or guilt, but it's obedience with the motivation of love, with a sense of wonder and delight as we get to live our lives serving the Lord. Because that is what our faith is about. And faith really is our victory. You know, that's where we get this, that old song, faith is the victory. Verse four, this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And I want you to know the blessings of having that overcoming life. Because we have so much to look forward to. Um, you know, one thing I didn't actually never really saw before I studied this passage this week was, was some of the blessings that are promised to those in the church who overcome. Uh, Jesus, in the letter of the, to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, actually gives a promise to each of those church for those who overcome. And it's amazing. And I just want to read some of them to you. Uh, he says in Revelation 2, verse 7, 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, or the one who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Revelation 2.11, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Revelation 2.17, to the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manner. I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Revelation 2.26, the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end. To him, I will give authority over the nations. Revelation 3.5, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot out his name from the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Revelation 3.12, to the one who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I'll write on him the, new, the, the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down from my God out of heaven. In Revelation 3.21, the one who conquers, to those who overcome, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. You know, that is the hope that we have in Christ. That's what the overcoming believer has to look forward to. And that's where our faith, you know, a faith of belief and love and obedience will lead us in the end. And, you know, as we come to the communion table again this morning, we want to remember the words of John in our passage here. That whoever, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This table that we're about to partake of, it's about Jesus. It is about what he has done for us. It's about our salvation that was purchased through his broken body and through his shed blood. It's about our faith that is founded in Christ. And it's about our victory that he won upon the cross. And I would want you to know all of those things personally. To experience them in your life firsthand. To be truly born again. Uh, believing in Jesus. Experiencing his love and obeying his commandments. Because that is what this table invites us to experience. That's the kind of life that this table invites us to make our own. Without Christ, there's none of that. There's no peace, there's no joy, there's no hope, there's no victory to be found in life. But with Christ, we have the victory. And we make it our own. Let's pray. Father God, we have been born again through our faith in Christ Jesus. And Lord, that's not wishy-washy thinking. That is certainty in our life. Just as we know we have been born physically, we know that spiritually we have entered into your kingdom. We have joined your family through our faith in Jesus Christ. And because we are born again, Lord, our faith has that character that we believe in the truth of who Jesus Christ is. That we love. We experiencing God's love for us and we, in turn, Share that love with those all around us as we love one another. And Lord, we live in obedience. And it's not out of faith. It's out of love, which makes it not a burden, but a blessing in our life. That is, we realize living in obedience and following your commands is the best life that is possible for us. And that, Lord, because we have that, we also know that we are overcomers. That in the end we are granted victory. That we're not going to win every battle, but in the end we are conquerors in Christ Jesus. 
And that, Lord, things like sin and death and the devil and, you know, all of those things, their power has been broken because of the cross of Christ. And now in those things, we are more than conquerors because of our faith in him. And Lord, as we come to the communion table, we just want to remember all of these things. We want to fix our hearts and our minds and our souls upon Jesus and remember the cross and remember the price that he paid to offer us this victory which is ours through him. And Lord, as we come, may we prepare our hearts. May we just truly be thankful as we just, again, remember the magnitude of the sacrifice that you have made on our behalf. As we come to this table, Lord, may we be prepared and just may we be mindful of the sacrifice of our Lord. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm gonna ask those who have been asked to help me serve if they could come forward at this time. And again, as we come to the communion table again this week, uh, we do so knowing that we have been born again, that we are children of God. And that our faith is established in the truth of Christ and his work on the cross. And Jesus himself tells us that's what we're doing here. That's what we we are called to remember. That's why when we take this bread and we take this cup, uh, the bread is a reminder of Jesus' broken body for us and the cup is a reminder of his blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And it is through the cross and it's only through the cross that we have a relationship with Jesus and that victory is ours. So let your hearts be prepared. Let your hearts be thankful as we come to the communion table this day. And as we come to communion again uh, this morning, I want to remind you that you don't have to be a member of our church uh, to join us this morning. As long as you believe in Jesus and know him as your Lord and Savior, you're welcome to join with us here today as we partake of the bread and the cup. And just again, to prepare our hearts to receive it, let me read from the words of Paul that are found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where he writes, 